Um, and it's an honor and a privilege to be uh, ministering the word this morning. Uh, and before I get started, I'd like to share a bit about, you know, prayer and fasting uh, this coming week. Uh, because as soon as we hear this word fast, we're thinking, oh my goodness, I must go a week without eating food. But I have a few quotes here around prayer and fasting. So prayer and fasting moves the hand that controls the universe. It opens the heart of God and the windows of heaven and brings the forces of God into action on your behalf. When we pray and when we fast, our prayers are amplified to God. They become louder. We even become more focused on the presence of God. One of the things I notice whenever I fast is that, you know, we're, such in, a, we're in an information-saturated age. So there's a lot of things that are usually running on my mind. Like currently, ESCOM is running through my mind. Um, a lot of the negativity that's happening in our country is just running on my mind. And I've noticed that because it's, it's on my mind, my mood is always down because I'm, I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm wondering what's going on. And the declarations that I start to make is that there's no hope. There's no way out. There is no solution. But as soon as we pray and fast, we intentionally focus on God's word. We intentionally spend time in prayer. And the more we get into God's word, the more our thoughts and our emotions start to line up with the word of God. Then all of a sudden, our confession starts to change, where it's no longer there's no hope, but there is hope because there is a God who is in control. There is a God who is sovereign, and therefore we can trust him, and therefore we can commit our nation to prayer. We can commit our lives to prayer. We can commit our, our families to prayer, not because prayer is powerful, but the one who hears our prayers is powerful. So this week, I'd like to encourage you to take part in prayer and fasting. Abstain from food. It's just five days. You'll be fine. <laughs> You're not going to die. And I dare you that the presence of God, where you are feeling hungry, the presence of God will come and fill you. Matthew 4, 4 says, it is not, uh, we, we live not by bread alone, but by the word of God. So this week, let's see how the word of God can fill us and not just food. I've also heard of testimonies of people who have been struggling with sin that, with regards to the flesh, like sexual sin, pornography. After they fasted, supernaturally, God broke that addiction. Simply because when they were fasting, they conquered the flesh. And therefore, the flesh started responding to the word of God. Yes. So, let's pray and let's fast this week. Um, and then we'll be having many prayers as it was announced. So, looking forward to seeing you all. Looking forward to praying and fasting with you all. And so, this week, we are continuing with our sermon series on miracles. Uh, we are in the second week. Uh, and the, as I was preparing, it was so difficult because I was so consumed by the miracles themselves that I could not see what the Word of God was saying. So, I took some time out and I was like, Lord, I need you to 
Show me what it is that you are actually saying through this word. And one thing I started seeing with this specific miracle that we'll be looking at, it wasn't for the benefit of the church, but this miracle was for the benefit of the lost. And that is why we are here today. Yes, we are trusting God for miracles. Yes, we are trusting God to intervene in our situation. But more than that, we are trusting for revival to come in our city. We are trusting for those who are not sitting here in these seats. As Pastor Philip mentioned that we are already full, so we need to take a group of you and go plant somewhere else. But in that place, when we get there, there are people who are hungry for the presence of God. And this is why we, there are miracles, so that God can be known. So, could we please stand um, as we read the Word of God? We'll be reading from John chapter 4 from verse 46 until 54. And it says the following. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are the God of miracles. I thank you, Father, that you intervene in this world so that you may be known. Father, I pray that you would speak to, through me this morning, that people would not hear my voice, people would not hear my thoughts and opinions, but they would hear your word, God. Holy Spirit, minister to each and every single one of us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Cool. So, this morning, as we dive into this text, there are three things that we'll be um, looking at, um, three points. Um, the first point is that testimonies create an atmosphere for miracles. The second thing is that trials are the breeding ground for miracles. And the third point is that the truth is the seed for miracles. So, um, John 4, uh, verse 46, it says... So he came to Cana, to Cana in, I mean, so he came to Cana in Galilee, where he, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So this man heard that Jesus was coming from Cana to Galilee. 
The one interesting thing about Capernaum is that it was alongside uh, a trade route. Um, so basically, there was a lot of traders who'd go past there, and there was a lot of people from all over Israel who were going past this specific place. And naturally, when people move, they talk. They start to speak about the things where they come from, the things that they've seen, the things that they have experienced. So this official had already heard about Jesus. He heard about all the things that he was doing in Israel, and he heard so much. He heard about the movements of Jesus. This official was also in a, in, in a difficult spot because his son was dying and his son was ill. This official, official had access um, to many different resources because he served under the king at the time. And because he had access to the king, he had access to many people who could have helped with his son's situation. Not only that, but because it was alongside a trade route uh, and people were moving a lot and, and different medicines were coming through, different foods were coming through, he also had access to resources. So he, I, I'd like to think that he had tried everything for his son to be healed. But unfortunately, all those things did not work. And it got to a point where the son was about to die. So, but based on the book of John, what are some of the testimonies that he has heard about Jesus? In John um, chapter 1 from verse 19 to 24, he heard the, the testimony of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist declared that, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to be the Lamb, to sacrifice himself so that he can take away the sins of the world. He also heard the testimony that happened at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus came and he turned water into wine. How many of you here would like to believe that if someone turned water into wine, they would be the first to hear it? Simply because such news travels fast, it does not remain where it happened. Because turning water into wine is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Because making wine takes a lot of effort. First, you have to grow a vineyard. Once the vineyard has grown, you need to water the vineyard. Then grapes will come. Then you need to crush the grapes. Then you need to take the grapes, and then you need to put them uh, in, in a barrel so that the, 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 grapes, the grape juice can ferment, and then it can become wine. And once it has become wine, then you can now start to put it in bottles, and then you can distribute it to people so they can drink wine. So Jesus took a shortcut through that entire process and said, I'm just going to turn the water into wine. That kind of miracle does not just remain in one place, but it spreads all over. Not only that, he heard the testimony of those who were at the temple. So at the temple, um, the Jews turned the temple, and now they started to sell things in the temple. And Jesus was upset, and he was like, no ways does this make sense. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Because people uh, were selling things in the temple, the nations could not come and pray. The nations could not come and worship. And so Jesus flipped tables. He flipped tables, and he chased them all out. And he made it available again for the nations to come and pray. That kind of testimony is not something that just remains there. It spreads around because People were selling. This was their form of livelihood. And now that livelihood was taken away for the sake of the worship of God. Imagine if you came here on a Sunday, then all of a sudden it's just full of tables and people are selling things. And now we can't worship God together anymore. Jesus was very concerned. That kind of thing does not stay there. The testimony of Nicodemus, this is when Nicodemus was speaking to Jesus about seeing the kingdom of God, and Jesus tells him, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. This is where the famous John 3.16 scripture comes from. Such an encounter does not stay between, him, uh, between Jesus and Nicodemus, 
but that testimony spreads around. Another testimony is again from John the Baptist, where he says he's unworthy to tie the, the, the sandals of Jesus. And he starts to exalt and to worship Christ. And he's doing that in a public place where, the people, where people were being baptized. That kind of testimony does not stay there. It moves around. And then finally, the testimony of the woman of Samaria at the well, where she shared the worst testimony I've ever heard, where she just said, come see a man who knows all that I have done. If someone came to me and said, let me tell you about Jesus, come see this man who knows that all I have done, I am not interested because that is not exciting, that is not appealing. But this testimony brought revival in Samaria where the whole city got saved. An entire city committing their life to Jesus does not just stay in that city. It spreads around. So this man heard all these testimonies about who Jesus is and about, who, about, about what Jesus has done. And in the midst of his hopeless situation, all these testimonies are coming to mind and thinking, maybe this Jesus can do something for my son. Maybe this Jesus can intervene in my situation. Because if he has done all these things, surely he can heal my son. The important thing about testimony is that family, we need to be sharing testimonies with people so that people can hear what Jesus is doing in our lives. Because when people go through desperate situations, the first thing they think of is all those testimonies that surely if Hank went through a difficult situation with his baby, I can too because God saw him through it and therefore I can also go through it. Another thing is that when my baby was also in hospital, we had family praying with us. And there was a specific family member who was so against our Christian faith, who was so against the church that she also started praying because of that difficult situation. And now we are still trusting for her salvation, but now she started attending church because she was like, I need to know this God who was able to heal this baby miraculously. Because there was a point where my daughter was at the point of death, but God intervened, and she heard this testimony. And so this testimony encouraged her to say, if God can do that, what else can he do for my life? Can you go to the next slide? Testimonies change the atmosphere. Who here has ever entered a room and as soon as they enter, it feels negative, it feels heavy? And that's simply because of the testimonies that are being shared there. It's always negative, it's always not positive. But when you start to share testimonies about what God is doing, the atmosphere changes. All of a sudden, there is hope in that place. There is faith in that place. As Pastor Philip was even praying for healing, there was faith in this room because there is something that we realize that God is doing something. I remember as a student, I'd go to the library to study, and as soon as I get into the library, it just felt so heavy. It felt so gloomy. It felt so dark because the confession in the library was that this is stressful, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. It just becomes heavy. But as soon as we start to declare what God is doing, as soon as we start to declare the word of God, the atmosphere shifts. And it not we as believers aren't the only one that feels an atmosphere shift, but the lost feel the change in atmosphere. I used to have a friend who, uh, back when I was still single and I was living alone, who used to like to come and visit me simply because in my room he felt like, oh, this is so peaceful, this is so great. 
And it was fun for a bit until I had to kick him out. And I said, no, 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 stop it. You know how this happens. It's because I pursue God. It's because I pray. You have the opportunity to pursue God yourself. You have the opportunity to pray as well so that in your home, you can also experience this atmosphere. You don't need me to experience this atmosphere, but you yourself can go to God to experience this atmosphere. So testimony is very important to change the atmosphere, to change the environment. If our workplaces are very negative, if our workplaces are only focused on things of the world, let's start sharing testimonies so that we can change the atmosphere, so that the lost can start to hear what God is doing. And the more they hear what God is doing, the more they'll want to see what God can do in their lives. And testimony becomes uh, very important when it's trials, when we're facing trials. So, for instance, when the, it says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He went to him. The interesting thing about, the, uh, about Capernaum is that what Capernaum means in Greek, it means place of comfort. So this man left Capernaum and he traveled about 30, uh, 35 kilometers from Capernaum to where Jesus was. If you were to walk that, it would take eight hours for you to walk from Capernaum to where Jesus was. He left his comfort because he was like, Jesus, I need you. I need a miracle. And so that's the thing about lost people, is that lost people enjoy their comforts. The same way about this royal official, he had access to everyone. He had access to everything. His take-a-lot cart was full and it was always shipped in, simply because he lived on a trade route. But that take-a-lot cart, when it came to a time of trial, could not heal his son. So he left that place of comfort, and in desperation, he went to Jesus. But there's an interesting thing here that Jesus says. It says, unless you see a miracle, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. This is interesting because this man came to Jesus looking for healing for his son. But Jesus looked beyond the healing and looked to the condition of his heart. He looked to the condition of his soul. And he says, yes, you do need your son to be healed. But what you need more than that is to be reconciled with the Father. That is more important than your miracle. If you look at all the testimonies that were shared about Jesus, they were all about worshiping and praising God for who he is. It was all about him being exalted, not about our situation. Jesus' greatest concern wasn't the healing of the son, but it was the salvation of the family. But Jesus knew that because he's so far away from him, because his heart, his heart isn't drawn close to Jesus, the only way this person, the official, will surrender their lives to Jesus is if they see a miracle. This is why miracles are so important for the lost, because you cannot debate with God intervening in a situation. We can have all the lofty opinions. People can come and tell you about science. They can tell you about the theory of evolution. They can tell you about whatever. But one thing they cannot debate is a miracle. When God himself intervenes in a situation, 
The reason why this family member of ours started, started seeking God for themselves is because when our daughter was in hospital, it got to a point where the doctors were like, we can't do anything anymore. And they left it in the hands of God. And we're like, we are going to pray. It's fine. God intervened in this situation. We shared this testimony. And now she is challenged because she's like, she's a very practical person. But practically, this does not make sense. This does not fit in with her worldview. That how, when you send someone to hospital where they need help, the doctors say, we can't help this person, but then they get healed. This does not make sense. But that's simply because God intervened in that place. The loss cannot debate with a miracle. I remember on campus as well, one of the things we'd love to do is that we'd have a conversation. Uh, I remember specifically this guy who was on crutches, um, and we weren't thinking about praying for this guy to be healed. We just immediately went, we started sharing the gospel, um, things weren't working out, we shared, we shared, we shared, and it didn't work out, and they, they just kept telling us that God isn't real, and then we got to a place where we're like, oh, we can pray for him to get healed, and we're like, okay, wait, before you leave, can we just pray for your leg to get healed? Um, yes, you don't believe in God, that's fine, and I don't think prayer can hurt, and he was like, oh, no, sure, let's, yeah, I'll pray. We prayed for him, we prayed for him, we prayed for him. Um, the cast was still there, his leg was still broken, and we're like, give us your phone number so we can check in with you tomorrow. He sends us a message the following day, and he says he is healed, he can finally walk. And all of a sudden, all him and all his friends started sharing the testimony, and they all got saved, simply because God intervened in that situation. It did not make sense for that, for that to happen, but God intervened. So, we have testimonies that create an atmosphere for miracles. Trials are the breeding ground for miracles. But we need a seed, and that's God's truth. In verse 49, it says, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will leave. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This man thought the only way for his son to be healed is if Jesus leaves where he is and he comes down to him, lays hands on him, and he is healed. But Jesus, because of his authority, because of who he is, he did not need to leave where he was. All he can do is just speak a word and healing would come. But look at the response of the official. He said that he believed the word of God and he left that place and I can imagine, as he is walking, because there wasn't social media, there wasn't any WhatsApp where you can be like, hey, Jesus said my daughter, our son is healed. How's his condition now? <laughs> he had to walk not knowing the condition of his son. And I could imagine him walking there. As he's walking, he said, Jesus, my son said, is healed. Jesus said, my son is healed. Jesus said, my son is healed. Jesus said, my son is healed. This is why the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. Because we need the truth of the word of God to speak into our situation. And then we start to align our thoughts. We start to align our thinking with the word of God. Sometimes a lot of us will hear the word of God and then we doubt what God says. And then we don't realize the significance of our doubts because then we're delaying the miracle. We're not standing in agreement with what Jesus is doing. We're standing in opposition with what Jesus is doing. 
again, Pastor Philip shared so lovely that fear is the opposite of faith. We let our emotions take over in that moment and we start to think, oh, I don't think it's going to make it. Jesus didn't lay hands, he just spoke. How can you just speak and something happens? He's supposed to lay hands on me. But this man believed the word of God. And he left that place believing the word of God, taking that eight-hour walk for 35 kilometers, declaring the word of God over and over. And when he got to where his son was, he asked that he didn't even ask. His servants came to him and told him, the fever is breaking. Your son is becoming well. And then he asked, when did it happen? And they said, last night at seven. And then he was like, last night at seven, Jesus said he will be well. And he shared the testimony with the family. And the family got saved. He got saved. We see this miracle wasn't for someone who believed. This miracle was for someone who was far away from God. And unless he saw this miracle, him and his family were not going to get saved. Jesus has an eternal view into each and every situation. He doesn't just look at the here and now, but he looks at eternity as a whole, which is something that we struggle to, to understand. I struggle to understand that the trial that I'm facing now is for his glory. That when I look at my trial and I look at my situation and I see a mess and I'm like, God, this is messy, this is ugly, I need to get out. But when God looks at it, he looks at the great mosaic of his great plan and he sees beauty in that moment. He sees his glory. He sees salvation. He sees lives being changed and transformed in that moment. And so as you are going through a, this, a, a trial in your life, remember that Jesus is aware, but he's even more aware of the greater picture and how what you are going through will bring him glory in the end. This family got saved, and this was the second miracle. It wasn't just the healing. It was the salvation that happened. The greatest miracle that we can see is someone believing in Jesus because they went from death to life, from darkness to light. That is the beauty of this miracle. What we need the most is a personal relationship with Jesus. Truth is a person. Not only are Jesus' words true, but truth is a person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. Jesus knew that what this official needs, more than his resources, more than the healing, is a relationship with him. Thank you.